Welcome to Arcade Attack. A retro gaming podcast for up to four players. Hi guys, and welcome to the latest Arcade Attack podcast. It's Adrian here, and on today's show, I talk to David Craddock. Now, he has released many, many popular books based on video games, including Stay A While and Listen, which looks at the history of Diablo, and Rocket Jump, looking at the first-person shooter genre. In this great interview, David talks about his future projects, including some sequels to his previous work, what inspires him, and so much more. So sit back and enjoy a really, really interesting interview. David, thank you so much for coming on the Arcade Attack podcast. It really is a pleasure. We've had you before, obviously, on the site with a, a, a text interview, but it's really great to speak to you. So thank you so much for your time today. Oh, thank you. Pleasure is mine. Oh, brilliant. Um, I'd love to start, actually, about... I'd love to learn more about your earliest memories about gaming uh, while you are growing up, because I'm, I'm assuming you're a big a big gamer, huge fan. So how did it all start for you? No, I don't really like games. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> let's see. The earliest memory, it's, it's funny, the way I always put it is, I, I don't remember when I became a reader, but I remember the moment I became a gamer. Right. I, uh, my mom and sister and I lived with my grandparents after my parents divorced, and I had a friend down the street, her name was Kim, we were in, I think, first or second grade, and uh, one day I went down to her house and knocked on the door, and her mom answered, and I said, can Kimmy come out and play? And her mom said, no, she's in the she's in the basement playing the Nintendo. She kind of said it like that, like it was this this new strange word. <laughs> and so I, as I'm walking down the, steer, the stairs, I heard the do-do-do-do-do-do of Super Mario Brothers. And I was like, what is this? And she let me play. And uh, fast forward nine months, I had, I had saved every penny earned from household chores to buy my own NES nice, with nice. Super Mario Brothers. Well, we couldn't find it. It was sold out everywhere. Then one morning, I woke up. My mom woke me up early before school, and she said, hey, uh, Terry, her, her fiancé at the time, went out and found you on uh, an NES, and he's down in the basement playing it. And I wow. ran down there, and he was he, had the, he was lying on the floor like a hunter crouched in the, <laughs> in the, in the undergrowth shooting ducks and duck hunt, and uh, we played for a while before school. So, yeah, I've been a gamer since, yeah, second grade. Nice one. Oh, cool. Brilliant. Um, obviously, you... You're a published author. You've got a lot of books done now. When did you first realize, though, that your skill in literature and your love of gaming, uh, you know, when do you think they could first be mixed together? Was there like a eureka moment or how do they uh, intertwine at all? It was kind of a eureka moment. Um, I kind of fluctuated in college between wanting to become a programmer and work at Blizzard and wanting to become a games journalist and write about Blizzard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I still liked programming. I, I still do. I've, I've been programming since I was around 10, and I still dabble in it. But I had some bad experiences in college. I kind of burned myself out. Right. But it was, the funny thing was, uh, during those semesters, I would load myself down with computer science courses and, and prerequisites, but I would always pile on a writing and a lit course just kind of for fun. So I was taking 19, 20, 21 credit hours, and to de-stress, I would take these extra classes. Yeah. Uh, and eventually, well, I, I was in a young adult literature class. I wrote an essay on Harry Potter, I think. Oh, nice. 
and got a got a an ovation after the teacher asked me to read it aloud, which I thought was weird, embarrassing, but kind of cool. Yeah. And so afterward, you know, class is dismissed. I'm I'm heading to my next class, not really thinking anything of it. And the teacher who comes up to about my chest comes. Uh, she calls me in the hallway, and she's got this big stack of papers in her hand, and she says, "David." What is your major? And I said, uh, computer science. And she stood up on her tiptoes and she bopped me on the head <laughs> with her papers. And she said, quit fooling around with computer stuff. You're a writer. You need to write. Mm. And so I realized, well, this thing that I've always enjoyed, maybe I could do that. And and so I, I switched tracks from there. And I've been writing professionally, which means for a paycheck most of the time, mm. uh, since 2004. Yeah. Yeah, you, are you there, Dave? Sorry, it's cracking off a bit. Oh, are you okay? Here. Can you hear me? Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, there you are. Yeah. Okay, yeah. brilliant. Yeah, no, excellent. So, I did, initially, did you actually ever have dreams of becoming a, a proper game, a video game programmer? Then is that right? I did, yeah. And I realized that as much as I liked writing code, I liked writing stories, fiction mm. uh, and nonfiction more. Uh, I, I it kind of was this this epiphany, this eureka moment that um, writing code could be a job, but writing stories was kind of life. I would do that even when I was tired and burned out. And, and so I, I really haven't looked back since. And I still enjoy writing about uh, writing about games, but I've tried to steer away from doing you know, previews and reviews and that sort of thing, which is which it's all well and good, but I think my forte kind of lies in these narrative-style stories about how games are made. And so that's what I've been doing for most of my career. No, good on you. Good on you. What was the first ever book you worked on? Do you remember? I, I, not to about the Harry Potter thing, but the first sort of video game book. Okay, good, because I don't want to talk about my first ever book. It, uh, <laughs> really? It's my first book. Uh, that's all we'll say. Uh, the first video game book was um, was Stay Well and Listen Book One. Yeah, yeah. Um, I kind of got got my writing chops for that going back a bit. By, um, I wrote a lot of retrospectives for PlayStation Official Magazine, and good old games, actually. Yeah. And kind of realized I, I had the knack, at least according to the feedback I got, for writing these these, these narrative-style stories and um, decided to try my hand at at a bigger project, which was uh, Stay Well and Listen 1. Mm. And um, that that started because I I actually worked at um, – I've been a Blizzard fan since I was a kid. Diablo mm. was my first Blizzard game. And uh, I even met a lot of the guys who worked at Blizzard North where Diablo 1 and 2 were made um, in high school uh, as a graduation gift. My Uncle Brad, who did contracting for Blizzard North and then worked there full time, flew me out to his place for a week. I hung out with my, my aunt and uncle. And one treat uh, for uh, almost a full day was my uncle took me to Blizzard North. And this yeah. was about three weeks before Diablo 2 shipped on uh, June 29th. 2000, which is we're talking on that day, yeah, right yeah. now, and uh, so it's been 18 years since all this happened, and um, I just realized I've been out of high school half my life. I'm feeling old, but uh, <laughs> it was it was kind of cool to to set foot, you know, and then those hallowed halls, and uh, I remember I met one of the programmers. He took me to his office, and he booted up the game and entered a developer code and spawned Diablo in town, and Diablo was running amok and killing NPCs and breaking the game. Yeah. And it was just. Uh, kind of cool to see and then a few weeks later the game came out and I spent my whole summer vacation on that and I have no regrets but after that about seven years later I, I moved to San Francisco for a job it kind of fell through and then I started doing freelance writing and uh, 
ended up doing some games writing for my uncle's game studio, which was Red Bana. And he didn't hire me. He didn't want any nepotism. He had uh, people he worked with uh, interview me and put me kind of through my paces. And those people were uh, Eric Sexton and Michio Akimura, who were two of the, the lead artists and designers on Diablo and Diablo 2. So I'd, I'd met them years earlier. They didn't remember. And I, in fact, I couldn't even remember if I met them. I met so many people that day. Yeah, yeah. But um, getting to know them, working with them, and Eric Sexton and I became friends outside of work, put a lot of EDF 2017 together on Xbox 360. And uh, I realized, you know, I should I should see if these guys want to talk to me about Diablo because I, I couldn't believe no one had written that story. And so I started mm-hmm. interviewing them, and they introduced me to other former colleagues and, and it just kind of snowballed. And uh, that was, yeah, 2007. And the first book came out in uh, on Halloween of, of 2013. That's amazing. I mean, it's <laughs> Blizz is a great company. Um, I, I'm a huge, more of a Warcraft fan than Diablo, truthfully. I've, I've just been playing Warcraft 3 again. And, uh, yeah, I, it's weird, isn't it? They made a film for Warcraft, but never actually really focused too much on the Diablo story. That's a good point. Yeah. Well, the way I think of Blizzard is they're almost the Nintendo of the PC games. Yeah. Well. yeah. They, have, they have enough worlds and characters to open their own amusement park and... Mm. Funny, I was just talking about this earlier. I think one of the cool things about Blizzard is you can follow one of their their series or all of them, and and you still get that magic Blizzard touch in, in each game. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I'm a, yeah, can't, can't say much better myself actually. Um, <laughs> we'll talk a bit more about stay a while and listen, and especially the uh, well, big, the big news, the sequel coming up. But before we do that, uh, the the great interview to us recently was for Rocket Jump. Now, obviously, that's that's not based on the Blizzard game. That's based on Quake and other sort of shoot 'em ups. How 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 was is that your most favorite title book you've ever written? How do you reflect back on that? How popular has it been then? Would you say? Well, the so Rocket Jump itself kind of blew up on social media. Yeah. I, I wrote it for Shack News. Uh, Shack News is my my primary freelance client. I'm the long reads editor there, and I kind of made that position because I was the only person there writing just like book sized articles that <laughs> I literally broke our content system. I kept adding chapters and eventually it just completely collapsed because there was too much. We had to expand it. Yeah. Uh, and I published Rocket Jump online, uh, two free chapters. The rest were locked behind a paywall for our, our Mercury subscribers, so our premium service. Uh, and the next day, it completely blew up. I got like, over 500 likes and retweets and et cetera, et cetera on Twitter. And I was contacted by Unbound, a, a publisher crowdfunding platform and that campaign launched in February, uh, and it's it's still going, and it kind of stalled out, which is is frustrating and disappointing to me. Yeah. Because oh, for a couple of things, uh, first of all, it's you know unbound. Unlike say Kickstarter, they their minimum time to run a campaign is ninety days, which I think is good. Yeah. In some ways, but it's also it's really hard to keep up momentum for three months. That's I mean that's a quarter of a year. Yeah. And I also feel like I, you know, I worked really hard to, to, to promote it, but I, I didn't want to just keep kind of sharing the same media uh, over and over and over again. And so, um, so it's kind of out there. It's, it's dangling. I'm very proud of the book. The book is done. Yeah. But Unbound and I are trying to figure out what to do uh, with the campaign. Mm. Uh, and so I think we're going to be working on that over the next two weeks, and I should have more news to share around then. But yeah. as far as the book goes, I mean, I absolutely love Rocket Jump. I'm looking forward to more people getting to read it. And you yeah. can read it in its entirety right now on Shack News. Um, 
definitely one of my favorite books I've ever written. I have a goal of getting better with each book, and that's kind of a broad goal, and also an obvious one. I have certain things I work on with each goal, certain goals I try to achieve. And um, with Rocket Jump, it was really digging more into 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 the workplace culture and characterization of these people, and uh, I'm really happy with how it turned out. So I hope more people get to read it soon. Yeah, I mean. Um... I've been, I've been, I read a bit of it. I definitely want to finish it off, and I've been very impressed. And obviously, talking to some real legends. Uh, I mean, what, what was it like talking with uh, John Carmack and John Romero? Those guys are really cool. So Carmack and I spoke asynchronously. He's so busy at Oculus that he he asked if he could answer questions over email, and I wasn't going to tell John Carmack no. So that's fine. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the cool thing about contacting him was I, I, I contacted him via his Oculus address for an interview and he goes, Oh yeah, I loved your Doom article. So I kind of spent like an hour on cloud nine, like, wow, John Carnax read oh, my stuff and liked it. That's cool. Cause I wrote about the making of Doom, uh, 2016, yeah. uh, about eight months before Rocket Jump came out last year. Um, and then speaking to John Romero is always fun. John Romero is one of the, the nicest, most knowledgeable developers in the business. Anytime yeah. I, I've interviewed him for magazine articles. I wrote a book about Apple II games that came out last September, interviewed him about that, interviewed him for Rocket Jump, interviewed him for the Doom article. Anything, anytime I have a question, that guy is, is so willing to set aside his time and talk about the games he's worked on and gaming history. He's, he's a developer who cares a lot about history, and it's, it's always really nice yeah. to, to have the support of, of, guys, like, of guys like that. And then, you know, from there, I mean, I spoke to dozens of people, you know, Tim Willits, American McGee, uh, Adrian Carmack came out, came out of hiding to talk to me, which is a really big deal because he doesn't do a lot of interviews yeah. these days. Um, uh, Janelle Jaquise, just so many, so many cool creative people uh, offered to talk to me, and I really enjoyed those interviews and writing that book. I mean, it's obvious if people, if this is the first time people heard about Rocket Jump, if they want to know more about the real nuts and bolts of, Quake and these sort of games. This this is a book to read, surely. Yes, yes, because uh, the idea is I, I write about Quake, the development of the first three games, it's at the center of it. But I, I felt that you couldn't write about Quake, or I couldn't write about Quake without writing about the games that it influenced. So that's mm-hmm. that that plays in the title: Rocket Jump, Quake, and the Golden Age first-person shooters. Other other FPS games from the '90s on console and PC. You know, GoldenEye, yeah, Triad, Duke 3D, Team Fortress. Kind of all the hits are represented. Nice. I mean, do you have a personal favourite shoot 'em up of that era? Uh, Quake is brilliant, but for me personally, it'd probably be Half Life. But how about yourself? Half Life and and Doom. I really yeah. feel like so Quake is great. Obviously, mm-hmm. I love Quake, but I really feel like it was it was building on what Doom started. Yeah. Uh, but Doom, I can still go back and play to this day. It just it hits all the right notes for me in terms of the level design, the pace, the weapons, the enemies, yeah, yeah. everything. Um. Half-Life, yeah. I, I'm actually in the crowd that believes Half-Life 1 is better than 2, even though 2 is pretty uh, darn good. Yeah. I just love Half-Life 1. I think outside of those two, I played so many of those games back then, but also un- Unreal and uh, specifically Unreal Tournament, because I felt like Quake, and especially Quake 3, that game, Quake 3, was like the apotheosis of it-style deathmatch. Like, if you want a pure deathmatch game i don't think it gets any better than quake 3 to this day mm. but unreal tournament and unreal added new wrinkles like they added uh, really cool alternate fire modes they added all those modifiers tons of different maps and, and other modes like i said it's just it's really such a a complete package uh, yeah the vehicle they had the vehicles didn't they if i'm correct is that right 
uh, Unreal Tournament. Am I talking? Might be talking rubbish now. <laughs> It was 2003 or four. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Um, your books, how would you describe them? I mean, are they fiction or non-fiction? I know they're very narrative, but what? how would you actually describe your books if, if, if for, for people listening today? Sure. The way I describe them is um, my non-fiction books are, they are real, but they are written in a novelistic style. Yeah. So that they read like novels and they're very accessible, easy to get into and I kind of, uh, I, I don't take the omniscient uh, approach, which means a narrator who knows kind of everything. I, I prefer to put myself in the moment mm. and walk alongside the developer so that, that they and the readers can kind of experience events as they happen. I, I do a few literary things like foreshadowing here and there, but for the most part, I want it to read like a novel and you're going beat for beat, page for page, step for step right along with them. Yeah. Okay, brilliant. Um, what inspires you when you write, when you start putting pen to paper? Like, do you write it with a physical pen or is it typing it? What actually inspires you as well when you're writing your, your, your books? I think the main thing is I don't want to get a real job. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I, I, I really love writing. It is, it is the way I, what I say to people is writing isn't just what I do. It's who I am. And yeah. I know that sounds pretentious and I hate that, but it's, it's true. Mm. Uh, I go to bed at night. The last thing I wake up, I think about writing. I just love to tell stories. Um, my usual routine for the past several years, uh, so I do write full time between books and freelance. Um, and it's pretty much, it's almost all day every day. I write from around nine in the morning until six or seven at night during the weekdays. Uh, my wife convinced me a few years ago to take weekends off just to recharge, which has worked out really well. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and my process is, I like to kind of let books and ideas gestate for a while. I keep a project journal for every book I write. Mm. And over time, I just kind of fill the journal with ideas for scenes, characters, and twists and turns. I'm, I'm more character-driven than plot-driven. I do outline, but the way I, I view outlines is I want them to be kind of broad because the tighter an outline, the more constrictive it is to me. But I, I do know the beginning and end, but a lot of the stuff I fill in as I go. I kind of liken it to... If you take a road trip, definitely plug a route into your GPS, but you don't have to listen to the GPS at every turn. If you see something interesting, take yeah. a detour and then come back to the main path later. Um, I do mostly typing. If I have, I always have my phone with me, as so many of us do. Yeah. And so if I get an idea, I'll, I'll usually pull up an email draft and just jot it down. And I'll save it in drafts because I get so many emails that it could get buried. But if it's in my drafts folder, I can find it easily. That's clever. Yeah, yeah. And then when it comes time to write, um, I sit down and do a, fir a first draft, and I do a minimum 2,000 words a day, except for weekends. A general rule, which crowdfunding campaigns tend to interrupt, but what can you do, <laughs> is write straight through. Don't go back and edit until you're done. Because there was a fantasy writer named Sarah Douglas who passed away in 2009, I think. But the way she put it, to paraphrase, was, if you continually stop and go back and edit your first three chapters, you'll have a great first three chapters, but you won't have a finished book. So I'm a firm believer in just going straight through, and then I take a month or so away from it, work on other projects, and then after that I come back and revise, revise, revise until it's either ready to be posted online, in the case of a, an online first book like Rocket Jump, yeah. Until I'm ready to have other people read it and start shopping it around, as the case with some of my novels, such as uh, Heritage and, and Point of Fate, which is coming out in a couple months. Right, yeah, yeah. 
Okay, brilliant. Yeah. Um, I, I am excited. I've, we've, we spoke briefly on emails about your new project, your new book, uh, Stay a While and Listen Book Two. It's obviously a sequel. Would you be happy to share a little bit about the original story and how the new book's going to sort of tie in and what to expect, really? Sure. So the um, Stay a While and Listen, I originally I started writing it as one book, and it was going to cover uh, roughly 1991 through 2005, and I'd been working on it for a few years, and my wife... I would complain to her every day, like, oh, I'm, I'm never going to finish this thing. Yeah. And she said, well, you should consider splitting it. And, of course, I did the tortured artist thing and said, no, my art, I couldn't possibly, blah, 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 blah. Um, then I thought, you know what? I missed sleeping. Sleeping was good. Yeah. <laughs> I, think I, I think I could split it. But also, I looked at it thematically. I realized that the interesting thing about Diablo and, of course, uh, about Blizzard, and I think you know this as a fan, is that they're, they're not – a company like Activision or Ubisoft who pump out a new uh, installment in the franchise every 12 months. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Diablo, Diablo one to Diablo two was four years. Diablo two to three was 12. Mm. Uh, Starcraft, Starcraft two was 12. Uh, that's not always the case, but there's usually, it's kind of like Nintendo and Zelda games. You're going to wait mm-hmm. three to five or more years before you get another one. And I realized that because of the gaps between the three Diablo games, a trilogy would work best because each each book could focus in, could kind of zero in on on a Diablo game. Yeah. And there, I could kind of write about the culture of the company and the people on the teams at the time it was made. And so, I think that's really worked out. So, the, the first day, while this had covered um, the beginnings of Condor, which became Blizzard North, mm. and Silicon and Synapse, which became Blizzard Entertainment. And their games, I'm talking console games such as Lost Vikings and Justice League Task Force and The Death and Return of Superman, yeah. all the way through Warcraft 1 and 2. And then the last chapter of Stay Wild Listen 1 was um, the Blizzard North team gathering at midnight on December 27, 1996 to toast each other because Diablo had just gone gold and then they went home to go to bed. And that's where book one ends. And book two, uh, Stay Wild Listen book two, Heaven, Hell, and Secret Calibles, picks up right at that moment, and we go forward from there through about, and so early 1990, or late 1996 through 2003. Yeah. So it's going to be a trilogy then, is that is that for certain then, do you think? Yes, that's the, that's the certainty. Yes. Nice. You've got to tell me about these secret cow levels. Um, Diablo, I, mean, I don't know too much about it, I'll be honest, it's you know, more of a Warcraft gamer, but what, what does the secret cow levels mean? Can you just <laughs> tell a noob over here? Sure. So in Diablo 1, it's set in the town of Tristram. That's where you start. Mm -hmm. That's where you go back to when your inventory is full and you want to sell stuff and identify items. But in the, in the north region of town, there are a few cows grazing. If you click on them, they moo. Yeah. And a rumor started, uh, not by Blizzard North, but by fans that, hey, if you do something with the cows, uh, you can open a a portal or passage or what have you to a secret Ah. cow level, great treasures and, uh, it was false. In fact, <clears throat> one of the cheat codes in, in StarCraft, which I also talk about the making of that game in Stay Well too. Yeah. It's uh, you type in there is no cow level. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, I, I don't remember what it does. I think it's like a reveal all map or instantly win the level or something. But that is one of the cheat codes. So for Diablo two, uh, they some of the artists. So one of the artists, Michael Dashow, who's a character artist, um, just for April Fools, threw together. Uh, a, an enemy, a monster called the Hellbovine. It was a bipedal cow with like a nose ring and a halberd. <laughs> and they posted this an April Fool's gag, and and Mike, 
and a bunch of the other developers said, you know. <laughs> and so from there, they made an actual secret calendar. That's so, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that's, that's part of the title. The, t- the title is actually, uh, it's meant to be kind of thematic. Uh, heaven, hell, and secret cow levels refers to the high periods, the low periods, and the crazy, zany, silly periods yeah. that uh, kind of uh, are explored over the course of the story. Oh, that's brilliant. That's a great. That's a, bit, a great bit of trivia. That's a really, really good title for a book. I have to say, I, I, title, I have to say, I'm, I'm glad you like it. I appreciate that because I actually I hate naming things. So when Do I come you? up with good, I'm like, yeah, this is great. So like, it's actually it's like once in a blue moon thing. So I'm <laughs> I suppose that's arguably the hardest thing, isn't it? Naming a book, so or even a game for that matter. But no, I, I really like the title. I think it's quite clever. Well done. <laughs> it's so funny because when I told my wife way back when, she's like, "What do you, have you picked out a name for the Diablo books?" I'm like, "Yeah, I think it's going to be Stay a while and listen." And I like paused and waited for her to like call me a genius or something. And she goes, "But you're reading, shouldn't it be Stay a while and read?" And I was like, "Ah." <laughs> like no, because because it's stay while listen. That's the quote from Cain and Diablo. She's uh-huh. like, that. And I'm like, yeah, we'll see. And they have, but there's an audiobook now. So when I promote that, I say you can now literally stay while and listen. So, nice one. Are you, are you narrating that as well, then, David? Or is that someone else that does that one? Uh, someone else did it. I helped pick uh, the narrator. It was um, audiobooks.com contacted me and, and gave me a nice tight little advance and, and helped me partake in the, uh, the auditions and stuff. Yeah. And it uh, turned out really well. I can't think of the actor's name right now. It's been a few years. Uh, and I apologize to him for that if he's listening. But he did a great, I think it's actually, I think it's Mike Rylander. Mm. He did Stay Well and Listen 1. Mm. Pardon me. And he also um, narrated Dungeon Hacks, which was my um, kind of spiritual successor to Stay Well and Listen 1 about the making of roguelike games, such mm. as Rogue, NetHack, and those. Nice, nice. Um, would you say Stay, Stay Well and Listen has been your most successful book? So far, has that been the most popular? What, what, what would you say? Definitely. Um, yeah. On the nonfiction side, for sure, because uh, I stay well and listen, you know, get it, you know, given that it's that it's not just Diablo, but Blizzard, the interest in it was so high. Yeah, I yeah. Got, got advanced praise from, you know, XCOM's Julian Gallup and, and Ultima's Richard Garriott. And, um, yeah, the reception of that has been huge. So a lot of people, I get emails almost weekly <laughs> From people saying like, "Where's Stay Well Two? Yeah. And the funny thing is, it's been pretty much done since the first book came out. Yeah. I just needed to kind of give it a couple more rounds of polish and mm. fact checking. But I, I took time off because, uh, as much as I love writing, I don't like to write the same thing for years on end, which I had been doing with Stay Well and Listen by that time. So I just took a break and wrote Dungeon Hacks. I did some novels and, and short stories some articles and now I'm just coming back to stay while and listen because I, I guess I decided it's time. <laughs> yeah, nice. Oh, brilliant. Um, Diablo 2, I mean, it is one of Blizzard's most respected and loved games. You, you must, obviously you're a huge fan. What, how would you describe that game and, uh, you know, what, what was it like on earth in the backstory? Was it a real privilege for you to find out exactly how it was made? It really was. Um, I, I, being very comfortable with everyone I interviewed. I overviewed about, or interviewed about 70 people and comfortable, not in a, like, I'm, I'm your friend. I'll, I'll, you know, only write nice things about you, but in, in, in a sort of like, I'm a journalist and I'm going to tell this the story, the truth, but mm. I really enjoy talking with you and enjoy learning about how you make games. And it was just really fun to, mm. to, uh, actually put faces to names of people whose work I've admired since I was, uh, the first Diablo came out when I was in high school. So for, you know, over 11 years, yeah. 
kind of my that part of my childhood. And growing up, it was Mario and Zelda. And then I, I still love those games, obviously. But then as I got older, I, and just stuff like Diablo came on, I got more into PC gaming. Yeah. Diablo, StarCraft, and like Warcraft were just kind of it for me. So it was, it was a hell of a lot of fun to, to talk to those people. My interviews are technically still ongoing because there's going to be a third book someday. Oh, of <laughs> so. course, yeah. Now I'm looking forward to it. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know if this is going to stop us being friends, David, but when I was growing up, I did like Blizzard games, but Westwood <laughs> for me, Command and Conquer, June Two. That would probably like, just about pip it. Are you, are you a fan of those? No, I'm just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do, do you like those sort of games as well? Or? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so Diablo was my was my uh, my first Blizzard game, mm. but I liked it enough that I didn't just want to play it. I went back. I played Warcraft Two. Yeah, I Command and Conquer. I was. I'm, I'm firmly a nod guy. Yes, uh, yes, yes. Love the first game especially. I didn't really play a lot of like Red Alert, but I was aware of it. Yeah. Um, because when StarCraft came out, like three races, so much balance, Battle.net, like it was just this, this perfect formula for me. Yeah. Um, yeah, like that's, and that's actually part of what I, I write about in Stay Well and Listen too, is that the heat was kind of on Blizzard. The pressure was on because, you know, before mm. they, they had three hits in a row, Warcraft 1 and 2 and then Diablo, but mm. they weren't this, they weren't this juggernaut yet that they are now. Mm-hmm. So when StarCraft, when they were working on it, um, that was a 14-month crunch with people working six, seven days a week, 18-plus hours a day, um, because everyone loved the game. They wanted it to be great. They wanted to make a great game. But they also knew that, you know, we kind of helped popularize this RTS boom, but we're now just one player among many. You know, games like Total Annihilation, Ion Storm. Yeah. Uh, and Conquer Red Alert, they could easily knock us off our perch. So there was a lot of internal pressure to make StarCraft great. Well, I, I remember that time as a PC game myself, and it, it, there's so much quality. And I think because there was so much competition, it brought the best out, didn't it, of all these massive companies? Would you agree with that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, it was one of my favorite periods yeah. for, for first-person shooters and for for RTS games. Oh. I miss those like you know they're still first person shooters but most of them have kind of a militaristic bent in the, in the vein of battlefield called duty yeah it's so not yes, it's, mm. it's largely faded to mobas and I, I you know mobas are cool but uh, what i love about rts games is the combination of tactics and resource management and base building oh i love it i agree yeah i mean i think you're i think you're absolutely right the 1990s was just a, a spoil of riches for rts and fps Oh, it just, it just talking to you brings it brings back some great memories. Actually, it's really good. Um, what who who did you what legends? Which which Blizzard legends? I know you interviewed what seventy people for this book. Was there anyone a real big person you thought this is it? You know, this, this is a massive interview. This is a big deal. Who who are the massive legends you've managed to get on your your most recent book? Then um, definitely David Brevik and Max and Shaper, who were the the co founders of Blizzard North and yeah. the co creators of Diablo. Everything kind of stemmed from them. Uh, they were known within the studio as three bosses. Dave, in particular, was considered this visionary. He would come in, his routine was, you know, he would, he would work late, sleep in, uh, take a shower, and then in the shower, his mind would kind of wander and he'd get these ideas. Yeah. And he'd come running into work, like, I had this idea in the shower, and that either made people really excited, <laughs> really, like, terrified, because it meant that you might have an idea, that was better than what they were working on yesterday, but it meant they'd have to throw out a lot of art and code and build right. new stuff. Yeah. But, you know, those ideas were things like the Diablo 2 skill tree, which has been pretty uh, influential in action RPGs. 
uh, you know, the, the perspective mode, which kind of gives a 3D appearance to what is otherwise a 2D game, um, stuff like that. Uh, and on the Blizzard Entertainment side, I spoke to Patrick Wyatt, who, you know, Alan Adham and, and, and Mike Morheim founded the company. Yeah. But Patrick Wyatt uh, was their, their second employee. They hired Frank Pierce and they hired Pat. And Pat was the, the vice president of R&D over there for like six, seven years. Mm. And he was behind a lot of the tech. He was behind a lot of their decisions to uh, work with external studios. He, he and Alan Adam were the ones who saw the, the promise in Diablo and pushed their parent company at the time to acquire Condor, which became Blizzard North. Right. But the interesting thing about, about both Blizzards is that there weren't a lot of rock stars, so to speak, there. Mm. You know, it was, it was almost easier writing Rocket Jump because there are names that like John Romero, John Carmack. Yeah. Scott Miller, um, you know, names like that are very associated with FPS games because those guys in many ways were the faces of their company. But everyone, what I really learned, and I, this might sound cheesy, but I, it's the truth, everyone at Blizzard North and Blizzard Entertainment was kind of a rock star in their way because everyone was encouraged to, sub, to uh, submit design ideas. Mm. Both companies were meritocracies. If you had an idea, you had to stand your ground, you had to fight for it, Oftentimes, there were just shouting matches, and it's because, not that people thought you were an idiot, your idea was stupid, but because everyone was so passionate that everyone insisted that the cream had to rise to the top. Only the very best ideas could go into these games. Um, and so, for example, Michio Akamura, to me, is one of the unsung heroes of the video game industry because he was the lead character artist on Diablo 1. And at that time, Condor and Blizzard North, they didn't even have titles, really. Mm. But everyone deferred to Michio. He created most of the character classes. He created Diablo himself. He created most of the monsters. Eric Schaefer, co-founder, was the guy who painted the backgrounds and the tiles that you know were cut and stitched together to form their random level. So really, if you want to talk about, you know, yeah, David Brevik, when he was in college, had the idea for Diablo. But Eric Schaefer and Michio Akamura really were responsible for defining the look of that game. On the Blizzard Entertainment side, they pushed Dave Brevik to convert Diablo from a, a single-player turn-based game, which is how it started, into a real-time mm-hmm. with multiplayer support game. And I mean, you could argue that well, kind of my thesis for these books, the reason I write about both Blizzards is their games were successful because they had each other. Yeah. Uh, as much as I like Diablo 3, that game went through a lot of problems in its first year, and a lot of that was because, and I kind of predicted it would happen was waiting for it to happen not like maliciously but just kind of yeah what you know you see someone about to slip on a banana peel or something you can't warn them <laughs> but but diablo 3 was missing the the culture from blizzard north it only had one side and i think it took blizzard entertainment a long time to realize what they contributed to that game blizzard blizzard entertainment is known for their polish and their that that shine yeah but Blizzard North, man, they had such quirky personalities and a, and a crazy culture over there, and that defined a lot of the personalities of the Diablo games. Sounds like a really good sort of yeah duo, good teamwork there. No, brilliant. Yeah, brilliant. absolutely. Um, listeners today, if they're new to your books, David, and, and they haven't read the first book, they haven't read the first day a while, do you think it's really essential they read the first book? Or could they get straight into Diablo 2? What would you say to that? I would say that people could jump right into two, yeah. but I did anticipate, given that it's been five years since they all listened one published, and, and really, you know, this Kickstarter is, is the crowdfund book two. It won't be out until next summer. Right. Um, what I've done 
is I structured the campaign in a very focused way. I didn't want to, you know, 20 reward tiers because I wanted you to just choose ebook or paperback. And what I've done is if you pledge to the paperback version, when the campaign ends, if it's successful, you'll get Stay Well and Listen ebook for free. Oh, brilliant. Excellent. You can look at the first book for free. So that's my whole pitch. Like, hey, if you haven't read this before, pledge to the paperback and you can get caught up while you wait the book too. That's very generous. <laughs> that's really good of you. Nice one. Um, when exactly do you think the new book will be released? And have you got an actual date in mind? I'm aiming for June 29th of next year, which will be the 19th anniversary of Diablo 2. And the reason for that is um, I'm almost done with my rewrite. I kind of had to hit pause on that to gear up for the Kickstarter, which is almost a full-time job in and of itself. Yeah. Uh, as soon as the Kickstarter is over, I actually, this is it's just a stupid year. I have like two books coming out in the next few months, which is great, but it's also a lot of work and promotion and all that stuff. Um, but... As soon as all that dies down, I'm going to get back to just kind of tightening screws as they well listen to. And then it's going to go through my editors. Uh, I, I do everything. So I have, I have sold books to publishers. This is self-published, but I, I give it the professional touch. I make sure professional editors read it. I have a professional cover artist, printer, distributor, everything. Um, so, you know, given all those production hurdles you have to jump, it'll be about 12 months from, from today when we're talking. Sure, brilliant. Um, you've obviously got a website. Can you just repeat to our listeners how, what's the best way of keeping? How would you say what's the best way of keeping up to date with your latest books, then, David? Um, mostly Twitter. I'm at yeah. David Craddock, C R A D D O C K. I'm also davidlcraddock.com. Uh, those are the two best ways. There, I, I post links to what I've got going on. In fact, the Kickstarter link for Stay Well and Listen Two is kind of long, but if you just go to my Twitter. The page is pinned right to the top of my account, so you can see it right there. Oh, excellent. Um, uh, what, what other books are you working on now? Obviously, it's, you don't just write about video games. Do your do your other sort of fiction novels have sort of characters that are inspired from games, or are they completely different? Um, yeah, I think it was Brandon Sanderson who said, I think he said this, uh, someone said a few years ago that um, going forward, you're going to see a lot of new fantasy and sci-fi writers who are influenced not just by literature and film, yeah. but also by video games. And I certainly fall into that crowd. Um, I have an ongoing series of epic fantasy novels for the young adult called The Garden Chronicles. The first book is called Heritage. It was released in 2014, about a year or so after Stay Wallace won. Yeah. And Point of Fate, the sequel, is coming out at the end of August. Um. And uh, I'm, I'm really proud of, of those books. I think uh, the first book did very well. It was reviewed. It was reviewed well. It was on the short list for, for book of the year wow. uh, by uh, a certain publishing organization. And um, so this is this is not all to brag, but just that I'm I'm really happy that that I that I'm able to do this. I'm, I'm grateful uh, that I can do this full time. And um, so Point of Fate is one of the books right now. I'm promoting Stigmas Two, and then also this fall. Uh, back to the video game side of things, I have a book by Boss by Books coming out about the making of Shovel Knight. Shovel, oh, excellent, awesome. <laughs> yes. Um, what would you, slightly off kilter question here, but what would you do if someone came up to you and said, look, a game developer, we like your books, we like your fiction stories, what would you say if we wanted to make into a, into our own sort of uh, video game? What would that, what would you think about that sort of scenario? Oh, I'd, I'd love that. I'd yeah. be probably weird at first because I, I assume I wouldn't have a lot of creative control. And I, I wouldn't. I, I don't want to be those people who just kind of in the background, like, psst, psst, you know, in the books, it happened this way. I can't handle <laughs> yeah. it. Uh, but it would definitely be cool. And, um, yeah, I, I would love to see that happen. I think it'd be fun. Yeah, I mean, 
that'd be that'd be the dream situation, wouldn't it? <laughs> um, yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, how how long does it take you roughly to write a new a new a new book? You know, how many weeks or months or even years on, on average do you reckon it takes to write a book for you? Um, first draft is around I would say three months. Yeah, and then I actually let it sit for a month, and then I'll go back. And other drafts happen pretty quickly, you know, because the hardest part is writing it to begin with. But I kind of look at it as is mixing clay before you can sculpt. You need to make your clay, and then you can kind of shift it around. Mm. Um, so I would say, it, probably for a book, it takes six to eight months from beginning to, to cleaning it up and getting it ready to be read. Oh, brilliant. Um, tough question, maybe a little bit mean question, but do you have a personal favorite book, one you've written, could be gaming or could be completely, you know, it could be a complete fiction book? Is there one that really stands out for you think, this is my that, peak? Uh, that's tough. Yeah, it's um, a tough question. It is. Uh, I would say it's probably Heritage because that was my first novel. Yeah. I had the idea back for it uh, for back when I was in college, and it was just so terrible at first. I mean, the first draft, like you could burn that to stay warm, but it would still be an insult to kindling. You know? <laughs> but it meant so much to me. It didn't become a trunk novel. You know, it didn't become one of those novels that writers realize that it's never going to sell. It was good practice, and they move on to other things. It, yeah, believed in it. Every year I worked as a writer, I would get better. So every twelve to eighteen months, I would go back to heritage and I would revise, 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 and I could see it getting better. And eventually, I was able to to sell it and now it's you know a series and that book means a lot to me if i can cheat on the nonfiction side it's probably stay well and listen yeah because it was the book that really kind of put me on the map and not only as an author but you know as someone who who can um still get freelance jobs by saying hey i wrote for us uh, stay well and listen and uh, i also just i love diablo and I, I love getting to talk to all the people who have been so gracious with their time to interview me it's it's fun like i it's it's so hard to maintain my journalistic integrity and not fanboy out while I talk to them because I just I love their work and uh, I want that to shine through in the book while also still still telling the truth. I think it's important that it shine through because Blizzard is a company that inspires passion. Yeah, yeah. I think if the books about them didn't inspire passion, it probably wouldn't be you know true to to what they are in their culture. Good on you, David. Um, I'll be really interested to know if you what's the have you got any other games in the pipelines or ideas or genres you would love to cover in the future, like a video game uh, genre? Um, yeah. So on uh, at Shack News, which is my main freelance position, I'm the Long Reads editor there. Yeah. And that's where Rocket Jump came from. Uh, earlier last year, I wrote, <laughs> it's called Stairway to Badass, the making and remaking of June 2016. Um, so that's still a shooter book. Later this summer, uh, next month or in August, you'll see the next long read, a uh, next book size article from me about the Infinity Engine games. Yeah. And, and Pillars of Eternity. And, um, I'm really happy with that book. It's coming well. And, um, I think that will, I think people will really, really like that. I've spent, um, I've had Obsidian's full support, been talking to them with months. In fact, in, in May, I was there with a, a small team to shoot a, a, a kind of a video documentary feature about the launch of Pillars of Eternity 2, and that will go up with, with the launch of the long read. I'm not really talking about the title yet, but yeah. um, that'll be in July or August. And I'm really excited about that, and it's it's so much fun writing for Shack News because the CEO and editor-in-chief over there, Asif Khan, he's built a team of writers who, who he encourages to, to pursue what makes them 
excited about games. And in my case, he's like, I want you to just write books. I want you to write these long features. And so that's, that's what I do for months. I'm just, I'm interviewing, I'm talking with people, I'm researching, I'm writing. It's, it's a blast. I can't believe it's my job. Yeah. I mean, I, I've, I've interviewed a lot of people on Arcade Attack and it's, it's just, it's not really, it's just great fun, isn't it? When you can talk to legends, um, no, I agree with you completely. Good, good stuff. Looking forward to that. Um, in your previous interview for us, you mentioned that you're a huge Zelda fan and you're talking to one as well right now. I've played many, many of the Zelda games. Um, would you ever be tempted to explore the history of Zelda or, or just or, or on a particular game in the series? I don't think so. And it's not because... Well, so... Actually, that's not true. I guess I kind of have. In, uh, in 2016, I released a book called Making Fun, uh, stories of game development, and um, each each uh, chapter, each section is about the making of the game. And I actually did write, I think, thirty or forty pages about the Zelda series. Right. But um, you know that was like I think eight to nine months before Breath of the Wild came out, and that's a book in and of itself. Oh yeah. Uh, but I, I don't think I would ever pursue it more. I mean, if, if the opportunity ever arose, I wouldn't say no. But it's not something I would seek out. Because one of one of the reasons that Stay Well and Listen appealed to me is because I, I couldn't believe no one had told the full story of Blizzard Entertainment, Blizzard North yet. Mm. Whereas, you know, Nintendo, it seems like everybody is writing about Nintendo. And I don't, I have some ideas for how I would cover them and their games, but I really am kind of picky about not wanting to retread old ground. Yeah. And, and Zelda is just... It's been it's been written about to death, and I think there's always more to read about it. But I would have to find a really good angle in, in order for it to excite me, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. Uh, yeah, most of the stuff about Nintendo these days online is is Mario or Zelda based. So I do I take your point completely. Um, what, do you have any personal favorite authors uh, that you love reading? Do you have any personal favorite books as well? Is, do they help inspire you? Yeah. Um, I love Stephen King. Yeah. I'm looking right now. I have a, about a bookshelf, uh, a shelf and a half dedicated to Stephen King and Hardcore. And I like him because he's very character driven. I think some of his plots kind of go off the rails, but his character work is, is second to none. Yeah. I love his, I love his writing. Um, I'm also big into Brandon Sanderson, kind of on the sci fi and fantasy side. Uh, more and more, uh, V.E. Schwab, Victoria Schwab, another great fantasy author. Sarah Douglas was a huge influence on me. Um, I would say if I had, if I had to choose a favorite author, it's probably Stephen King, but I, I really try to read a lot. Like right now, I didn't know a lot about Anthony Bourdain actually, so I'm reading Kitchen Confidential. Right. And, uh, like earlier this year or last year, I think I read like Roger Ebert's biography or autobiography. So I really like to jump around. So it's really hard for me to say, this is my favorite book because I, I really try to, to read a, a broad range of subjects. But, um, definitely Stephen King would be my favorite writer. Oh, you can't go wrong with he's, he's very, very good. Yeah. Um, one final question, Dave, before I say goodbye. And it's been a real pleasure to have you here. Um, if you could be transported into any of your books, fiction or non-fiction, uh, even even in any of the games you covered or let you have there, and you could travel there for a day, is there a particular story or game you would choose and and live there for a while, maybe a day or two? Um, that's a great question. I would say probably stay a while and listen one. Yeah, 
just the making of that first Diablo game when Blizzard North was very small, when they were still kind of operating on a, on a shoestring budget. And it was, I mean, those guys, like, occasionally paychecks would bounce and they had creditors knocking on their doors, but they just kept plugging away. They really believed in that game. I would love to just spend a day hanging out with those guys. Oh, that's a good answer. I mean, I'm going to have to, I've, I've read little bits of your first book. I'm going to go back and read it properly now, stay on, listen, and I can't wait for the sequel. Um, I really appreciate your time, David. It's really interesting talking to you, and I really do wish you all the luck in the future. Well, thank you. The pleasure was mine. I, I really enjoyed the interview. Great questions. And uh, it's nice to talk to someone from Arcade Attack actually in person. So this is exciting for me. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> please keep in contact. Keep us up to date what you're doing. Um, and it'd be brilliant to talk in the future. But uh, yeah, good luck with everything. And it's been a real, real pleasure. Take care. Thanks a lot. You too. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We really hope you enjoyed it. If you want to get in touch regarding this week's episode or anything else, you can tweet us at Arcade Attack UK, at Keith Barlow82, and at Arcade underscore Adriano. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash Arcade Attack UK. Please check out our website at arcadeattack.co.uk for lots of retro gaming goodness, interviews, reviews, features, top tens, etc. And you can also find all our previous podcasts there. Our podcasts are available to stream from the website and from SoundCloud and are available to download for free from Stitcher, Podbean and iTunes where you can also leave us a review and a rating which we would really, really appreciate. So until next time, take care and we'll speak to you soon.